0: Welcome to the Fayetteville Fire Podcast, where we talk about all things fire-related, safety tips, and things that are happening in our can-do city. I'm Don Cheetah, Captain
1: Community Risk Reduction, Fayetteville Fire Department. And I'm Demetri Collins, Fire and Life Safety Educator with the City of Fayetteville Fire Department. And our show today is going to be about hands-only CPR. But first thing, our safety tip of the week is uh, number of residential fire alarms. Last year, we had 1,126 residential fire alarms. Why is this important to you? What's it mean? We're going to talk about it later on our show. All right. Joining us today, um, talking about hands-only
0: CPR, our guest, Miss Rachel Therner, a registered nurse
1: with Cape Fear Valley Medical Center. How are you doing today?
2: I'm very well. Thank you for having me this morning.
1: Good to see you, Rachel. Good to see you. So hands-only CPR. Why is this so important? Well, if anybody in the nation was watching Monday Night Football on January second, twenty twenty three, just a, just a month and a half ago, they've seen Demar Hamlin, uh, defensive back for the Buffalo Bills, collapse after a tackle, and immediately CPR was started on the field. Um, I believe it was about thirty minutes it took to transport him, and uh, we're happy to say, if you watched the Super Bowl, he was there present cheering cheering the teams on and stuff. Um, another instance, February third, not one month later the pga's at&t pebble beach pro-am event out pebble beach california a caddy collapsed a bystander actually initiated cpr prior to cal fire representatives getting there and last we heard that caddy is doing well so that's why we want to talk about hands-only cpr today so miss rachel just tell us how what is hands-only cpr
2: Sure, hands-only CPR is a simplified version of CPR that we teach to members of the community. Anyone can do it, and it's just got two simple steps. Um, you may have heard before giving mouth-to-mouth. We don't. We we throw all that out the window. There's literally two steps. It's. Call 911 because you're going to need advanced medical professional help as soon as possible. And then step two is you're going to push hard and fast in the center of the person's chest. And you're going to just continue doing that until advanced help arrives. Okay, okay. And
0: um, we were talking about hands-only CPR before we uh, started here and um, how some people don't know the difference between cardiac arrest and a heart attack. Uh, can, you, can you give us an explanation on that?
2: Sure, absolutely. Uh, I found that a lot of people use these terms synonymously, but they really are different problems, both related to the heart and we treat them very differently. So we really think of it as electrical versus plumbing problems. Right. Um, so... A heart attack, if you think about the heart being an organ that needs oxygenated blood being supplied to it to keep it alive and keep it doing its job of pumping, if one of those vessels that's supplying oxygen to the heart gets blocked by something, like a clog in your plumbing, that is what is going to cause a heart attack. That area of the heart with the blockage, that heart muscle is going to start to die. Um, But that person is likely still awake and talking to you. They don't need CPR because CPR is going to be providing a pulse for them, providing a heartbeat. They already have a heartbeat. Um, So we treat that a little bit differently. They need to get to a hospital, get to a cath lab and have some cardiac interventions. So that's the plumbing issue. Um, Cardiac arrest is an electrical problem. So the heart actually has an electrical conduction system where an impulse starts, if it's functioning correctly, at the top of the heart, and that impulse zips down through all the chambers of the heart, and that is what makes the heart muscle squeeze, makes the heart actually pump. So every time that heart is beating, it's because an electrical impulse has been sent down through the chambers and is causing that to happen. So, if someone has a problem with the electrical conduction system of their heart, mm-hmm. then those those chambers aren't going to be beating, meaning they're not going to have a heartbeat, and no blood is getting pumped around to the brain and the body.
0: Great. Okay. Well. Okay. Okay. So, 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 uh, in simplest form, uh, a heart attack. Your heart is still pumping. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have a, pl- a blockage or a slight blockage, and a cardiac arrest. Uh, your heart has stopped. When you need to start pumping that and moving that around, okay.
2: you got it. So uh, we need to get that heart restarted, if possible.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, you talked about uh, not needing to take safety breaths or life, mm-hmm. life, uh, giving life breaths. Uh, why? Why is that?
2: Okay. So while well, we're talking about out of hospital cardiac arrest, right? Mm. In the hospital, we do things a little differently because if someone has a cardiac arrest in a hospital setting there is immediate advanced medical help available. Um, If you think about it, in the hospital, we have oxygen that we can give to people. So in that case, we might do 30 compressions on their chest and two rescue breaths with oxygen. Outside of the hospital, if a bystander sees someone drop to the floor because of cardiac arrest, and they pump on their chest for 30, 30 compressions and then try to give them two breaths... They're giving them carbon dioxide mostly, mm-hmm. and that's not actually what they need. The other thing is that studies have shown that the longer we spend actually beating, on, pumping on the chest, and being their heartbeat for them, the better the outcomes. We actually have enough oxygen already circulating in our blood to um, to continue to perfuse our brain for. Roughly up to 10 minutes. So it's more important, short version is, it's more important to compress on the chest than to stop and breathe carbon dioxide into their mouths.
1: That makes sense. And a little bit cleaner, too, right? Absolutely. Especially (laughs) in the time of COVID. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. Definitely. So going back to how the program came about, um, last year, the Fayetteville Fire Department ran 419 cardiac arrests. Uh, we started the program in September, but tell us how this whole hands-only CPR kind of got going and stuff, where we got away from the rescue breathing and and just got to doing the CPR hands-only with the bystanders.
2: Sure. Well, I think what we realized is that we needed a simplified version for non-medical professionals to feel comfortable doing. Um, they really found that if, if bystanders, the, the quicker you do CPR, you can double or triple that person's chance of survival mm-hmm. if CPR is implemented immediately. A lot of people aren't going to take the time to go take a four-hour class to officially get certified like you and I. So this is something they can do without fear. They're protected by the Good Samaritan Law. Um, so they can do it without fear of repercussions. As long as they're trying to help, um, they, they can do that without fear and likely save a life.
1: Okay. And talk about a good Samaritan law. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Here's a big thing in today's world. You know, We don't want to touch anybody or sure. hurt anybody because we're going to get sued. Somebody's sure. going to sue us. So tell us about the good Samaritan law. What does that mean?
2: Sure. So the good Samaritan law means that if you are someone who is trying to help a person who appears to be ill or um, in peril, you cannot be sued. You cannot be held responsible for a poor outcome. W- one example people ask me all the time about is, what if I break a rib? What well, I can tell you that if, if I have a cardiac arrest and you are pushing on my chest trying to save my life and you bring me back, but you break my rib in the process, I would rather be alive with broken ribs than dead.
1: Yeah. So and, and we should them. tell everybody hearing that if you're doing correct CPR, you're going to break a rib. You're going to have them odd cracking sounds. Partly and, and exactly. that, yep. that means you're pushing hard enough to get that heart going.
2: That's right.
0: So uh, can you, can you uh, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, the amount of the, the amount of people that we're trying to reach here?
2: Sure. So we officially started this initiative in, in 2021 with Cape Fear Valley. And we would like to teach 30,000 people in five years. That's our goal. Um, we teach it for free. We teach it to school groups, uh, community at, at community events, um, um places of worship. Um, we'll come to your your place of business. We're at about, I think, five thousand right now that we've done. So we're a little behind, but we would love to come teach you for free and help get those numbers up.
1: Yeah. And we're talking about numbers. What what kind of difference when you're talking, let's see first responders usually take about three to four minutes on average to get to somebody. what's that three to four minute mean in, in the survivability rate of a loved one or, or a bystander or somebody you see go down?
2: Absolutely. So yeah, like you said, I think I think five to seven minutes is when we want first responders to get there. And for every minute that you're not perfusing the brain, that you're not performing CPR, their chance of survival goes down by, I believe, 10%. So if they have 10 minutes with their brain being deprived of oxygen, they're dead. They're 100% dead. There's no chance of them coming back. We say time is heart muscle. So as soon as you can Start administering CPR. The outcomes are better. Like I said, you can double or triple their chance of survival.
1: That's and, and, and I know this is a new program, but do we do we kind of have any statistics so far? Have have has their survivability rate kind of gone up in, in, since we started? I know it's really new, but have we started to get that data feedback at all?
2: We have. Um, so nationally, unfortunately, it's not like you see on the medical drama shows on TV. <laughs> Most people do not survive. Um, uh, cardiac arrest, especially outside the hospital. I think it's like 90%, unfortunately, that do not survive. But North Carolina, we do a little bit better than that. We're at about 11.5%. And Cumberland County, we've we've increased to about 12.5% as of the end of last year. So those numbers can only go up. We really can make a difference. I know we personally have had community members reach out to us where they learned hands-only CPR from us. Only a week or two prior, and they email us saying, I used it. I used it the following week and I saved someone. And that is just incredibly rewarding. I'm reminded of um, the starfish analogy or the starfish story where there's someone walking along the beach and throwing a starfish back into the ocean, and someone says, Why are you doing that? You can't possibly save them all. And he thinks, as he throws one back. Well, it made a difference to that one. And that's how I like to look at it. That gives yes. me chills to think about. We can't save them all, but <laughs> every, every one we save is a win.
0: Yes. The yes. more people we train, the, more, the faster they can get their hands on, the higher their survivability rate goes up. And that's the goal, that's the goal. <laughs> um, so how long have you, uh, talk a little bit about you here with the NCPR, how long have you uh, been with Cape Fear Valley Medical Center?
2: Sure. I have been with Cape Fear Valley a little over three years. I have been working as the education coordinator at the Heart Center for about a year and a half. But I've been a nurse since 2004. I have my master's in nursing education and I've been a certified CPR instructor for two years.
0: Okay, All right. All right. Um, So what are are you uh, whenever this hands only CPR uh, initiative came out? what are some of the the biggest uh, improvements that you're that you're seeing?
2: Well, like I said, just having more community members trained is huge because it increases the likelihood that we're going to save lives. Um, in terms of out of hospital cardiac arrests, about seventy three percent of those happen at home, mm-hmm. so. That's not good news if someone lives alone, but if we can train neighbors, if we can train family members, um, the other about 16% of these cardiac arrests happen in public places. So you can be at the local, the grocery store, you know, the the uh, big box store, and you can be there to save a life. So that's what we're seeing is more and more people saying, "Oh yeah, I learned this. I heard about that."
0: And that's that's uh, that's good. There, so over so over 50% of these cardiac arrests are going to happen at home. Um, and that's, that's a, a, a good uh, initiative to, to start um, for someone to possibly save a family member's life, someone that uh, is close to them, a loved one's life. Um, do you uh, have any information on how they can uh, sign up with you all?
2: Absolutely. So my boss, Benjamin Beeson, is the coordinator for this entire program. You can call him at area code 910-615-8294. You can also email him at the hospital. It's B-B-E-A-S at Cape dot com. And again, you can set up a hands-only CPR class for free. We'll come to you, or you can come to us in the hospital. We'll work around your schedule. We're also going to be at upcoming community events. I know on April 15th, we will be at the Step Up for Health Wellness Expo at Methodist University.
0: Okay, yeah, that's
2: awesome. so Yeah, we'd love to see you all out there.
1: And if you want to get a hold of the Fayetteville Fire Department, we also come out there. You go to uh, bravethefire.com or gov and under the fire. And we got an area under risk reduction, uh, public information, and involvement you can click on. And we got a fillable form online. You can fill it out, leave your information, and we'll get back to you in scheduled class. So you've been a nurse since 2004. Yes. Have you always worked in the cardiac unit?
2: I started on a cardiac unit. I am a military spouse, so I've moved around quite a bit, but I did telemetry first thing. Telemetry is the portable heart monitors that we use in the hospital to monitor patients, and I have truly loved the heart since I was nine years old and looked it up in the Encyclopedia Britannica. (laughs) I literally looked up the word cardiac and, and went from there, so... (laughs)
1: that's cool that's cool so it's rewarding you've been at different hospitals and across the country and
2: yes exactly i mean i have done i've worked at neuro and i've been a case manager and um this is definitely my passion and i'm so grateful that i have a boss who's passionate about it as well and that our department does so much outreach in the community
1: yeah and and uh you know, I've been in, I've been in the fire service for 26 years and I know when you work in the hospital areas and stuff, different people have different you got different teams, so to speak, and in a cardiac team in a hospital is a very unique unique team of different specialties coming together.
2: Absolutely. And we are Cape Fear Valley is one of the top 100 heart hospitals in the country. It's recognized as such. So, if we can train community members to keep that person alive until our advanced personnel get there and then transport them to our our award-winning hospital, <laughs> as it were, <laughs> they're in good hands, and they're going to have much better outcomes.
1: And, and I've been on the receiving end of that. I've, I've worked a, a, a cardiac arrest and uh, been able to talk to the gentleman two months later, and it, there's nothing, no better feeling than, you know, a, a church member, a neighbor, um, somebody in your basketball league, whatever it may be, to be able to talk to him two months later and say, hey, I saved a life. And it's nothing more rewarding in my mind.
2: Absolutely. We actually have uh, the Heartfelt Banquet coming up next week, which if you're not familiar, that is an event that specifically brings together survivors of cardiac arrest and their families with the medical professionals that helped save their lives. All the way from the dispatchers down to maybe the cardiac surgeon or whatever it was that they might've needed. So what a great way, you know, to to recognize people and bring people together. Because we, as as first responders or as medical professionals, we don't always see the follow-up, right? The What happens with our actions. We see the immediate results, but not the long-term. And it's right. so nice to meet them and their families. And just gives you all the warm fuzzies. Yep, yep. <laughs> and, and I've been
1: fortunate to be a part of that. But it is, uh, you get on a fire truck, you go to a call, you get done with what you're doing, you go back to the firehouse. And you never really, for years, never really knew what the outcome was and and thank you all for putting that together that we actually have a beautiful dinner and you know get to meet people you've survived and their family members and it, it's very gratifying so uh back on the the hands
0: only cpr uh could you give us a, a quick um rough draft of you know the the steps that you're going to be taking if uh somebody if you do witness a cardiac arrest out in the public
2: Absolutely. Like I mentioned previously, it's only two steps. The first thing, of course, is going to be call 911. Whether you tell someone with you, if you're not alone, tell someone to do it, or if you call, that needs to be the first step. Because when you're performing compressions on someone, if they've had a cardiac arrest, remember that's the electrical problem. Pushing on their chest is going to keep them alive, but that's actually unlikely to bring them back. Mm -hmm. What's going to bring them back is either medication that the advanced professional gives them, or a defibrillation, an electric shock. And we can talk more about that. So step one, call 911. Step two, keep them alive till they get there by pushing hard and fast in the center of the chest. And
0: we we don't need to give safety breaths because they have enough oxygen already in their blood. Okay. So you're
2: going to use the palm of your hand, let's say on an adult or a child, and you're going to place it on the breastbone right between the nipples. And you're going to lock your other fingers together, straighten your elbows, and you're just going to press. And we like to say the compression rate is 100 to 120 beats per minute, Mm -hmm. but... That's hard for people to remember. So, we just try to have them sing the famous song by the Bee Gees, Staying Alive. Stayin' Alive. Which, yeah. you know, if you want to go ahead and give us a little. I, I,
1: I, I, stayin, stayin' Alive. stayin' Alive. Stayin alive, alive. And truly. D- yeah. D- I didn't even know you were old enough to remember that show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that's what we do. And that makes it also fun when we're teaching people. It kind of keeps it relaxed, but that really will be in your head. And that way you know how fast to go. Keep the rhythm. Staying on the beat. So, yep. call 911 and then. Push hard and fast in the center of the chest to the tune of the BGs staying
1: alive. <laughs> and an important point. Make sure you keep your elbows and arms straight and locked. Use the weight of your body to do the compressions. Yes. Um, unless you're a big bodybuilder that lifts thousands of pounds a, a week, um, you're going to wear out pretty quick. So you, use the weight of your body. And it'll help you last longer. That's right. And do
2: do I have time to talk about AEDs real quick? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. this leads us into, so we said that, that pressing on that chest is going to keep blood pumping throughout the body, keeping that brain alive. But right. we need to bring the heart back. We need to get it out of a bad heart rhythm, get a, a good normal rhythm started. And like I mentioned, that either is medications that an advanced medical professional will bring Or if you are in a place where they have an AED, this is an automated external defibrillator, or as my students like to say, the shock thingy, right? (laughs) That's too clear. So look in the community. I encourage you to go out and look in your community. These will usually be um, on a wall somewhere with a sign above it that says AED or says defibrillator. This is at the gym. It's at place of worship. The airport, the mall, schools, um, they're about $1,500. So you could buy one even for your home if you wanted. They're not cheap, but they do bring people back. And the way they do that is that they have pads that you apply to the body. It shows you right on the AED machine where you place the pads on the person's chest. And this will deliver an electric shock meant to get that person out of a bad heart rhythm. And hopefully a normal heart rhythm will will. Resume.
1: Okay. And he said put the pads on. It's not like the old emergency show. You don't, you don't have the paddles and push the buttons. Rubbing, rubbing them right. together. Correct. Right. Yeah.
2: The main thing we tell people with an AED is bring it, and even if you don't know how to use it, just turn it on, and then follow the prompts. So in an ideal situation, if we saw someone go down, be it an adult, a kid, even a baby, because we can use AEDs on a baby, and we can do CPR on a baby, one person, someone has called 911. One person is doing the, the compressions, the hands-only CPR. Mm-hmm. The other person is bringing the AED and working around that person to apply the pads. And when everything's on, the AED is turned on, and it tells you it needs to analyze the heart rhythm. You stop touching the patient, and then it'll tell you if they need a shock. You just make sure no one's touching the patient, and you shock them. And at that point, they're safe to touch again. If they don't come back from that, you go right back to hands-only CPR until the paramedics
1: arrive. And, and that's an important thing. That the machine will tell you shock advised, yep. and after a shock, it'll tell you to resume chest compressions, or it'll tell you or no shock clear. advised, re- resume chest compressions.
2: Yep, turn it on and follow the prompts. That's, that's what we say.
1: <laughs> Easy enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome.
1: So, uh, so in, in, uh, in our
0: closing here um, – what what would you like to tell people? Because I some people feel like they they're really not gonna make a difference. Um what what would you like to to say to the, the citizens that have made feel that way that, you know, I I don't see me making a difference.
2: Well, come talk to any of our survivors. <laughs> um <laughs> like I like I said, I'd like to reiterate every minute counts. And if you I mean, Jamar Hamlin, like you mentioned, was a perfect example. He had immediate CPR, and for that reason, not only did he survive, but his medical team credits that that um, immediate response with him not only surviving but having no deficits, meaning the longer you wait to start um, reperfusing the brain, the longer you wait to push on their chest, the more likely it is that they might have brain damage. They might, ha- they might survive, but they might not quite be the same. So... Um, I mean, we have proof that mm-hmm. this this can double or triple that person's chance of survival.
0: And don't be afraid to get in there. Exactly. Good, the good Samaritans are.
1: Good and Samaritans
2: I, I are. also say, if you do nothing, they're definitely dead. So you're not, yeah. you can't make it any worse than that, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Like, you can at yeah. least try.
1: And, and for anybody as skeptic out there, you know, Damar Hamlin, professional football player. And we all know that they got, you know, professional medical staffs on the sideline. But they still don't have the medications. Um, they don't have the equipment that the that the hospital care or the advanced life support and ambulance have. So even in that instance, still the trainers going out there just initiating that chest compression made a big difference in his survivability. So right. it's and important to understand that.
2: Absolutely. And if if it didn't work and it didn't make a difference, we wouldn't be so passionate about it. We wouldn't be here doing what we do every day.
1: That's exactly right. Well Miss Rachel, we thank you for joining us thank today. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you all so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: So we talked earlier in the show about residential fire alarms. Last year we had 1,126 residential alarms. What does this mean for you? Well, what it means for you is most people don't know. We get these fire alarms from our company, ADT, CPI, whatever the company may be. We get them installed, and we don't keep up with the alarm systems. For The city has an ordinance that on your third false alarm, meaning the third time your alarm went off for no reason and the fire department responded, we have the potential to fine you up to $500. Uh, we don't wanna do that because we don't wanna skir- discourage people from having alarm systems, but we want you to be cognizant of maintaining your alarm system. Regular maintenance on it, get with your alarm company so we don't have these false alarms. Uh, some of the other reasons that we go to alarms, uh, besides the malfunctions, uh, steam from showers, uh, lack of maintenance, or maybe uh, smoke detectors in too close a proximity to your kitchen and your everyday cooking. Um, just get with your alarm company, keep these alarm systems up and working properly. And that'll reduce the times we got to come visit you. All right. Thanks
0: for joining us on the Fayetteville Vire podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the radio Fayetteville
1: on your favorite streaming platforms to listen to all of our podcasts. And the next podcast, we're going to talk about firefighter health and wellness until then.